Are you done making noise? No. Okay, now I'm done. Jesus. Anyways, what's up, Real Chance Podcast listeners? I'm Mushtaq. I'm here with Hassan. And today, for the first time on the Real Chance Podcast, we finally secured the bag. We have a guest. And his name is Alex. I'll let him introduce himself. Hey, folks. My name is Alex McVeigh. I'm a former uh, expert slash editor at The Real Champs. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, I was on the podcast, uh, the old school version, but it's good to be back here uh, talking about some Real Madrid with my old friends. It's great to have you. Who, Hassan, turn your line. I muted it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Every single time. It's a noise disturbance. Anyway, I was going to say it's great to have you back, Alex. Before we start and before Hassan goes off on a tangent, I just want to say thank you to Alex for putting me on, on the Real Champs. It's a big reason why I get to be, a, like, I ended up a part of this team. So thank you for that. It's super cool having you here. And like you said, it's going to be dope to talk some Real Madrid. Hassan, is there anything your big mouth needs to say before we start? I was just going to add a nice little sentimental thing to what you said. Alex kind of kept us both on the team because obviously I was going to depart. He kept me in. He brought you in. So... He's the real OG here. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's good to see what you all have done with the website since uh, since I've been gone, and that y'all are holding down the ship and keeping the keeping the podcast thing going. So big well, to, to hear. Yeah, yeah we're, we're trying. We're trying to make the the ship a cruise ship and just add more layers to it and everything. So yeah, we're not love it. The Titanic. So yeah, love it. yeah. <laughs> 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 be the Titanic because that obviously crashed, husband. Jesus. Well, that was the joke, much time. Well, it was a horrible joke. It was a horrible joke. Dark humor. Get with it. It's 2019. Don't be so. Don't be such a snow. Don't be a snowflake. Oh my god. I'm not a snowflake. I'm not even. Okay. I was gonna say. Have you seen those new new cruise ships in like the Caribbean? They look so dope. Yeah, but can you afford it? Yeah, obviously. I've been. If anyone wants some money, ask for his PayPal. DM the Twitter. Yeah. Cash at me. It's it's good to see nothing's changed around here. <laughs> I think Hustle and I just ended up like hating each other more and more as it's a love hate relationship. There's yeah, just more hate than there so is love. Oh so. no, you you secretly love each other. You know it. It's it's all it's all love. I, I feel it. I feel it emanating from this Skype call <laughs> over the interweb. <laughs> all right. Um. Anyways, before well, now that all that's done. Uh, before we talk about tomorrow's match against Barcelona, there's so many things to talk about, and it's always great to hear Alex's more wise um, and calculated opinions than maybe some of the rest of us. But Alex, what is the one thing that has shocked you this season in a positive light and also in a negative? Okay, all right. The positive is obviously Vinicius. Um, it, it, I'm like, to be perfectly honest, like, you know, I've had a bunch of new work obligations going on. So like during the first part of the season, I think I had checked out a little bit, but I've been watching a lot more games in the past few weeks, uh, past few weeks to months. And like, there is one headline coming out of Real Madrid and it is Vinicius Jr. This kid is on fire. Uh, like he, he just shows a spark and an excitement and an energy that, uh, you know, it, it couldn't be more of a contrast from what we're seeing from players like Gareth Bale, for example, who is a phenom when he wants to turn it on, but just doesn't seem to have that energy and an excitement, that joy of playing. And Vinicius does that 
every single day on the pitch. And I also think that's huge in a world where, you know, this is the first year around Madrid or without Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, Ronaldo is doing his thing down at Juventus. And the, the one sort of like X factor that that produced for the squad is, well, what does that mean for Benzema? Karim Benzema was known for being a player who did not really excel on his own, per se. He had moments of glory here and there, but really, he was Cristiano Ronaldo's strike partner. And he was good because he helped make Cristiano Ronaldo look good. And so we're kind of wondering, like, what, what was what was actually going to happen? What's the plan with Benzema moving forward, given that he is sort of not uh, an ideal, you know, out-and-out striker? But obviously the the path forward lies through Vinicius and through their just sort of like combination of Benzema's, you know, being kind of an old... He, he At this point, he's a veteran. He's wily. He knows what he's doing. He's always had sort of that brilliant awareness of space and the ability to um, make himself a nuisance for the purpose of other players. And you add this youthful energy and pace that Vinicius is bringing. And it's like that is 100 percent the uh, the most exciting thing. Um, as, as far as a negative, uh, I mean, where? Where do we even start? I think it's just got to be the consistency. Um, you know, since Lopetegui uh, departed, um, we're seeing a lot of good things under Solari, and we're starting to see the offense click a little bit. Um, you know, the the advent of Reguillon uh, and, and his uh, sort of move to the front of the squad has been great, but it just never seems consistent. You never get the the feeling that... Uh, you're going into any match really with a guarantee. Uh, and, you know, in, in seasons past, even when Real Madrid wasn't playing great, you you sort of had that guarantee that they would find something at the end of it. And I, I just don't have that optimism anymore in the squad. I, I'm, I'm just not surprised by any losses. Uh, and so it's really caused me to kind of have to adjust my approach to uh, watching the team this season where, um, you know, in, in years past, I sort of uh, hung my hat on every win and loss and, you know, really, really kind of felt the losses in a big way. And, I, you know, at this point, especially after the Copa del Rey exit, I, I'm just sort of ready to treat this season as an experimental season of what the world past Cristiano Ronaldo looks like. And, uh, you know, my expectations are that low. So that's got to be the low point going from, you know, back to back to back Champions League winner to uh, I'm not even really sure what we're doing in the league. Uh, that That's probably the low point. Well, you unpacked a whole lot there. There's like <laughs> more than just hand luggage. It was like carry on, suitcases. <laughs> The whole freaking cargo compartment. That was a lot. But I, I think Hassan and I both agree in previous podcasts. We've both just been so amazed in everything that Vinicius has done. And I think almost every game he's played, we've kind of just dissected and just been in awe of, you know, whatever he does in every third of the pitch. He's somehow so creative and flamboyant and in some respect. And then you look at the stats. He's the leading assister of Real Madrid. I mean, to be 18 and to be the leading assist man at Real Madrid, you have people like Tony Cruz in that team, Luka Modric, and you have 12 assists. I think it's absolutely marvelous. And then just like you said, Karim Benzema was the strike partner of Cristiano, and now he's just, I don't know, he's like a different person. Some people even say he's 
just like how he was when he was back in Ligue 1 before he came to Real Madrid. Um, 20 goals this season, season and 7 assists. May I just have a little bit of a personal uh, gloat session? Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, here we go. I did say at the beginning of the season, I believe Kareem Benzema will reach 30 goals in this season. Uh, he's at 20 now, so we're 10 away with how many? How's that? How many games? Are it? Fourteen matches left or something? Still a fair few, yeah. You've also still got the Champions League to go, so he's still in two competitions. Yeah, at um, least fifteen games to go. So you know what? It's uh, it it's plausible. Nothing's impossible. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't think it's completely impossible. He gets very close to that or hits it. Um, but yeah, no. Largely agree. Vinicius has been a breath of fresh air in the team because we've not seen anyone. We've sort of dared to just continually run at the opposition, regardless whether he's successful or not, um, and just take people on. I just, I haven't seen anyone like that since Ronaldo first joined um, all those years ago now, nearly a decade ago. Um, and so the other thing has been the, the main negative sort of linking on to what Alex said about the, uh, the, the managerial change. I just think that's more to do with the poor planning that sort of has been done at the top of the club in, in regards to not really thinking about the potential departures of obviously managers and stars. I think they're sort of, they're at that kind of point where, you know, like when you're in bed and you wake up in the middle of the night because your glass of water's gone, gone empty and you're sort of reaching out, trying to find, you know, where the, where, where the door is to get to the kitchen, but you can't quite find the doorknob. I feel like that's where Majid are at at the moment. They're sort of just searching, trying to find that one spot before it clicks. And I think that's hopefully going to be this summer, fingers crossed. Strange analogy, I know, but there we'll go with it. No, it's a good one. Uh, what do you guys think? So both of you have talked about both, you know, the managerial situation at Real Madrid. Do you guys think that the whole Lopetegui situation, he was kind of set up for failure to begin with? Did it kind of seem like he was a filler from the get-go? It was kind of just an interim position. He probably was never really going to stay on unless Real Madrid miraculously, you know, had at least one, if not a double. Yeah, I think he was definitely a, a shot in the dark, per se, because at the end of the day, going from international level management to club management, they're two completely different parallels. You're dealing with completely different beats every single day. Um, and the other thing is, he was never really linked with the job to start with. He wasn't really a candidate, so I think the only reason that he was appointed is because they couldn't get anybody else. Uh, that's my take on it, at least, anyway. I don't know if any of you guys differ with that. I'm just... I. I'm just so perplexed by the whole way that that was handled. Like, I, I don't necessarily think Real Madrid did anything wrong in seeking him out before the World Cup, but it also doesn't feel like they did anything right about it yeah, either. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, like, I don't really think they violated any sort of, like, moral or ethical principles and a lot of the, like, moaning and complaining from the coulées of the world about how terrible it was for the Spanish national team. I don't really buy that, but I also just kind of, like, don't understand, like, what, what were they trying to accomplish, both in bringing him on in general and in bringing him on when they did and adding all of that extra drama? It all just seemed so strange. It's and Florentino then, Perez for you. It's written all over it. I have to make a statement of some sort. It's always the way that Perez has gone. Always. I guess. Um, but it just, you know, it, it didn't seem like it was setting Very Lopetegui well thought up out. <laughs> for... Yeah, and it wasn't setting Lopetegui up for success. Um, it, it created an environment where 
you know, Real Madrid is the manager is already going to be under the microscope and under the hot seat. And this, I think, just created an environment where that's amplified because he was turning down one of his dream jobs for another dream job. And there's going to be added levels of scrutiny when that's the case. And especially when it comes along with major implications for the Spanish national team and the world of Spanish football that uh, it just it just seemed a tall ask for Lopetegui to uh, to take over this team in such a transitional period. And then also to, you know, have Cristiano Ronaldo leave and to not really um, to not really buy the necessary parts to replace that big of an output of goals. So I, I think that like, I think maybe Lopetegui could have worked but the, there were so many factors working against him that I'm surprised it didn't. I'm not. I'm not surprised it didn't. Yeah, I, I don't I'll, think anyone is at this point. Kevin, watch that little one. No, no, no. I, I was just gonna say. I just wanted to get Alex's take on it because when Solari was appointed manager of Real Madrid, this is way back, um, a while before when we had Christopher and uh, Anthony on the podcast as well. And I think all of us kind of just shat all over Solari. It was well, like, yeah, my exact words on soon as you asked me the question. I said, What when you said, What is Solari going to be? I said, A fucking disaster. Bleep that out. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I think we kind of just went off on a tangent as to how horrible we thought he would be, uh, especially because he wasn't that great with the Castilla side either. But quickly, in, in a couple of sentences, what were your thoughts of the appointment initially? And how do you see Solari and his managerial role now with Real Madrid? Um, go for this, Alex? Yeah, go. yeah, sure. Initially, I was confused. Um, it it really seemed like the definition of a caretaker manager that this was not somebody who was going to be planning for the long term. That it was just us trying to find a solution for the short term. Uh, somebody familiar with the club, somebody built into the club's infrastructure and hierarchy that could take things over, and then you know. I, I don't, remind me if he he actually did sign a longer term contract, correct? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is just another sort of like perplexing move from Uncle Flo here as to like what the goal is. And I think so. So I was initially confused, and now my latest reaction has been, uh, "It's fine. He's fine. He's fine. That's it." fine just just fine i can't say anything more positive i'm not gonna say anything more negative because my expectations have already been shattered this season up is down down is up real madrid is sort of mediocre and i don't know how to feel about that so like solari is fine but I, uh, my, my big feeling is just that like it, this ain't gonna cut it for the long term we, we have got to find somebody better so uh maybe i'm not giving solari enough credit maybe he i need to see what he could do with a full sort of summer transfer window but it 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 just seems like he is doing fine which is not good enough for a club the quality of real madrid Hassan, just before you answer to the listeners if you don't know a whole lot about alex which i don't imagine many of you would no offense to you alex but alex literally just used a four-letter word keep in mind alex is a phd so trust me, <laughs> it's quite when he says something is just fine, um, for the uh, rest non as educated people as Mr. McVeigh is, uh, probably that's, that's Doctor that's Doctor yeah. McVeigh to you. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, my bad. I forgot you have a PhD. 
Dr. McVeigh. Uh, oh, God, I can't believe I just got flamed on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's literally three words. Have a shame. You invited me back. What did you expect? Oh, my God. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, um, Austin, answer the same question and adding to it, uh, if you guys were Uncle Flo, as Alex put it, are you keeping a Solari on or are you definitely looking for somebody new? Okay, so my initial thoughts um, when he was first appointed, as I said earlier, I'm not going to repeat it because you have to bl- blurt it out again. What do you yeah, want to repeat for that? Okay, I won't repeat it. Um, so yeah, like agree with agree with Alex, which is a short term sort of response to just trying to get the season steady because the boat was literally sink. The boat was quite literally Titanic by this point, as we mentioned earlier, um, rapidly sinking, and they needed somebody just to literally rope it back in and just keep it steady which at first it didn't seem that was going to happen they were really sort of pragmatic football being played you know one nils really tight results defensive ugly hideous every 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 single horrible adjective you can think of it was that um since the turn of the year uh, and that, this sort of more relates to how he's doing now i'd say he's he's he sort of turned it around there's been some pros to his reign. He's he's obviously implemented Vinicius, which has just been an absolute blessing in disguise. Some Regulon come into it. Adria Zola's getting minutes. Uh, Ceballos is getting minutes. So he's he's rotating the system really well, which I quite like. Um, he's putting in some more attacking uh, performances. Performances in big games have been better. Uh, against Atletico Madrid, phenomenal. The first Copa del Rey leg against Barcelona was good. The performance largely in the second leg was good by that 23 minutes of just complete shithousery. Um, and what goes on on Saturday, well, who the bloody hell well knows. Um, but as, in terms of what goes forward from here, I don't think he'll be kept on. I'll be amazed. Reports everywhere suggesting now that he's run out of credit uh, and Uncle Flo is very tired um, of this whole scenario and has decided that he's probably going to get in a more... Uh, established name, I guess you could say that. I imagine the man he's going to chase in the summer, and someone that I personally chase who will be Mauricio Pochettino at Tottenham. Yes, Hots. the Poch. Yeah, good old Poch boy. We need that guy. We need. I don't know him. how I feel though because I, I've seen people say this. I used to be a huge fan of him and definitely thought he was the one. And I'm not saying he isn't the one. I definitely think he has a potential to be. But are we just going off of? potentially what he's done or what he's achieved so far what he's and achieved that, so far is phenomenal he's got phenomenal even, like, it, half it's the budget of those proven, top six clubs. proven is what i'm saying it's like it, it's like when you're in school i disagree right? i think he is kind of proven but I, it's like it's like when you're in school you can answer questions while you're in class or whatever and yeah you could seem smart but i mean at the end of the day like your final mark comes from your exam like it, yeah sure it's not okay. final piece, and the exam is the trophy. He hasn't won. Yeah, that. of course. I, I knew you were going to allude to that sure. eventually. But I think to take Tottenham Hotspur from the banter club of the Sherwood era that they were, Jesus. where they were scraping, you know, Europa League just about, occasionally getting Champions League if they were lucky, playing shit football, full of terrible players, um, to take them from that to perennial title challenges, um, Champions League football every damn year making decent runs in the Champions League. He's caught up against some tough opposition. I mean, he absolutely trounced us in the group stage. Uh, was that last season? It was last season, wasn't it? 
where they beat us 3 1 away. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So he absolutely trounced us last season. Um, he, he's done he's done very well. And I, to do it with absolutely pretty much a shoestring budget, in my opinion, he's I think his net spend is like stupidly low compared yeah, to the other top six game, clubs. Yeah, Tottenham, Tottenham, Tottenham brought basically no one, or it was it was either actually no one or basically no one in this summer. They basically uh, bought nobody. They literally bought nobody. And has managed to keep pace with a rampant Pep Guardiola Manchester City side plus a Liverpool side that has finally figured out what to do in both defense and attack and uh, a Liverpool side that spent quite a pretty sum of money between last winter window and this summer window and filled the like big holes that they needed to in their in their squad like the goalkeeper position getting Virgil van Dijk fully uh, navigated in their additions to midfield which which are substantial additions that cost a lot of money and Mauricio Pochettino is still just rolling with Dele Ali uh, Hongman Son and uh, Harry Kane and just and Christian Eriksen and calling it a day we we don't need to we don't need to just he's got really good ability at turning players into world-class stars. Deli Ali, who the hell had heard of Deli Ali before he t- signed for Tottenham Hotspur? It's a good eye for for, for, for moves. Ericsson came from, from Ajax on a really, really small fee, turned him around, turned him into a world-class star. Now he's been looked, as the, looked at as the replacement of Luka Modric. Crazy. Harry Kane has turned him into a serial scorer. Davison Sanchez has turned him into the, one of the best young centre-backs in the world. Uh, the list just goes on and on and on and on. He's, just, he's done absolute wonders with that side. Absolute wonders, and to do it again with the budget he's got, and he's he's definitely nurtured talent for sure. And I think he'd definitely do really well with you know the likes of Vinicius, the likes of Ceballos, all these sort of players. I reckon he's the perfect man, not only to uh, solidify an ethos in Madrid, because that's one thing we've lacked. We've lacked an identity in that team for such a long time. Lopetegui tried to implement it, but he wasn't given the time. I don't think he really had the squad to do it either. Um, nor do I think he was quite the man to do it either, but that's another debate for another day. But Pochino can implement a style of football this side. He'll be given a budget to you know to use, and it'd be great to see what he could do with you know a budget the size of City, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it, it'll be interesting just to see what he does at you know a club like Madrid. Really, I think he's made for a job like that. I think he's literally ready to step up to that now. Yeah, I think the one sort of question mark hanging over that is that uh, I mean it is true. Um, I think this sort of gets gets to Mushtaq's point that um, it it really is a step up. He, it, I, it's not a step up that I think is beyond the pale for what Mauricio Pochettino is available to and what he can do. I think it's a realistic step up, but he will have to prove himself at a higher level because there were all of the comments coming out that, you know, from him about how the... Uh, you know, the trophies aren't the most important thing. And just the change of culture and the level of expectation will be something different, such that it is okay to be at Tottenham Hotspur and show progress, to show consistent development, to show a good use of the budget, to show, uh, you know, steady earning of Champions League places and gradual improvement in the performance of the Champions League and to not win trophies. That is not okay at Real Madrid. 
uh, Real Madrid has set the standards so high that even in their off seasons, you have to be deep in the Champions League, if not hunting for the Champions League trophy. Um, and I think there's going to be an added expectation to actually overtake Barcelona in the league and, the, and you know, also the Copa del Rey. Maybe I'm just saying that because that's uh, wound is still fresh. Uh. But I think um, I, I think there really is. I think he is ready for the shift up in expectations, but we should not pretend as if there is not a change in level of expectation that would be required from him. Well, just before we, we keep going uh, through the managerial process, which I think we can all agree if we all had to come to a consensus and pick someone, it would have to be the Poch. And then I guess before we get into what should happen in this coming transfer window, just looking back at last transfer window, obviously we took some losses, we signed Vinny, we signed Oriola, we signed a couple other kids, brought people up from the Casilla, such as Fetty and uh, Regulon. But what do you think was the biggest mistake from from last summer transfer window? And do you think maybe this is Perez trying to push this whole new idea of uh, not grassroots football, but more so taking players from the academy and bringing them up into the first team, kind of like what Barcelona has been, uh, I guess, lauded for or applauded for in recent years, whereas we've been considered just this Galactico team that just goes and whips up the cream of the crop from all over Europe. Well, to be fair, um, sorry to break any viewers' hearts who are expecting the club to go absolutely rampaging into the summer window spending money galore. From what I've been reading a lot of lately is, uh, Perez is going to buy a Galactico, not some Galactos. It'll be a Galactico, and then it will be still young, prospectful signings, which I don't disagree with. I think all we really need is a consistent goal scorer up top, and then just a few potential sort of stars in the mold of a centre back, perhaps, um, and maybe another midfielder if you really want to push out. But saying that if James Rodriguez is coming back, then you don't even need one of those. Um, so for me, I think it'll literally just be a case of another centre-back, and the striker. And I think I really do believe that's all the squad really needs. I don't think they need to go and spend a stupid amount of money. Um, I mean, we just managed to outplay Barcelona for a large period of time over two legs. Yeah, OK, the result wasn't ideal, but that was more to do with an element of luck and obviously putting the ball in the net. So if we can get someone that's capable of putting the ball in the net, would that tie have been very different? I do think so. Yeah... Yeah, I think there's also going to be some serious questions, question marks. A lot of these questions about who is coming in have to be understood in the context of who will be going out. Um, which yeah, means, definitely. Like we would we would have to answer the Isco question first, um, ah, which ah. <laughs> so, so we are subject not, there. Yeah, food is fans already. Yes. Uh, I mean, like. Because it's easy to say that we only have one or two pieces that we need. But if Isco is unhappy, then that creates room where you start asking questions like, okay, Luka Modric has been slowing down a little bit this season, still one of the best players in the world. Tony Cruz has looked okay for the most part, but not quite the imperious, robotic, mechanic perfection that we've seen from him in seasons past. Um, and then if Isco is unhappy and wants to find greener pastures elsewhere, then you start having serious questions about the midfield, which might have ripple effects 
throughout the rest of the squad. Um, and I also think Bale is going to be a huge X factor. Uh, Mushak was asking the question of what the sort of like biggest regret or mistake was from the summer transfer window. I don't, I don't necessarily have a regret. I was trying to be cautiously optimistic about the fact that we didn't really bring in anyone huge. And my X factor there was always going to be Gareth Bale. Uh, because Bale has been waiting for a season out of the limelight of Cristiano Ronaldo to step up and show that he could be the person to lead this team. And uh, it just kind of fell short. It's not that he's been bad per se. He's had good moments. But if we were expecting Bale to flourish into the next Cristiano Ronaldo or to really kind of take the dynamic performances that we saw in the Champions League final and to apply that as his day-to-day -day standard to approaching the club, we did not see that. And so I, I don't think the summer was necessarily a mistake. I think it was a gamble and that the gamble didn't quite pay off. This season, Gareth Bale has played 32 games, of which he's come on as a substitute for nine of them. He scored 13 goals and five assists in over 2,000 minutes. So he's certainly up there. He's the second highest goal scorer of Real Madrid, and he's pretty up there in assists as well. And it doesn't really seem like he's contributed a whole lot, just given how much he has been absent. It comes down to when he's when he's presented those goals and assists as well. That also makes a massive. Obviously, you can look at someone's goals and assists, and you can see they scored twenty five, but they scored most of them against relegation fodder, and that's where you sort of hit a slippery slope then uh, of how meaningful are those contributions. That's the problem that I've had with Bale this season. Is yeah, he's provided some goals. Yeah, absolutely no taking that away from him. But in the moments that we've needed him, so let's look at the Clasico, for example, the first leg, when he had the ball at his feet, there was an open net, and he decided to take two touches and then foot shoot with his right foot. Literally could decide to tie right there if he really wanted to, but he decided to, for some reason, cock it up. It's those moments that I feel are going to come back and really bite him on the arse. I personally think he's going to be sold in the summer. I would be amazed to be still at, still at the club in, in, at the start of next season. Really well, would be amazed. That, that was simply going to be my question. Alex, should Gareth Bale be sold, yes or no? Oh, how are you going to do this to me? Yeah. Do well, it. So, like, you can, if, if you all search the Real Champs uh, webpage for some of my old articles on <laughs> no, Gareth Bale, search, search the realchamps.com for Alex McVay, Gareth, Alex McVay, Gareth Bale, and you can go way back and see that I've been standing. Uh, Gary Bale for a long time <laughs> and uh, we had vicious uh, arguments back we and did. forth between <laughs> me, me and Hassan and me and a number a number of contributors on the squad who are trying to say uh, no of course not you uh, but uh, who are trying to say that you we've got to sell Gareth Bale Gareth Bale is overrated and Every time this Gareth Bale does this thing where every time you say you try to write him off and say Gareth Bale is done, he's washed up, he's not good enough, he does something absolutely amazing. And that Champions League final performance where he came on as a sub and then scored just magnificent goal, that bicycle kick was amazing. And it was no, the. 
It was okay. Okay. We get it. Ronaldo's was great too, but that was in a champions league final and sealed the deal for Real Madrid in the final when we needed him to. And that was like some big cojones, Gareth Bale, putting it all on the line, showing that he is a superstar, which almost it, it's hard to judge Gareth Bale because you want to judge him not against every other player on the pitch, but against the best version of Gareth Bale that you know exists, which is a, which is just a phenom. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think it's probably time to let Gareth Bale move on, um, which, you know, I would have, me three years ago would have said that was blasphemy, would have had nothing to do with it, uh, that Gareth Bale, you know, should retire at Real Madrid. But I think it's maybe time to let Gareth Bale find a place to rediscover his best football because it just doesn't seem to be happening at Real Madrid. And he doesn't just he just doesn't seem to be enjoying life here. I like I you know, maybe this is some armchair psychology or trying to read body <laughs> language, which I know is always that's problematic. Like you can't I mean, you really you, you can't really tell what people are thinking based just off looking at them. But like ugh, the eye test has not been there for Gareth Bale for a while, despite the occasional magnificent performances. So gun to my head, sell him or no, I say yes, sell him, try to get somebody else in. Well, he consumes 350,000 euros a week, not a month, ladies and gentlemen, a flipping week, which I think is absurd. And at this point, like Alex said, it, you kind of got to think about it from both angles. Um, one is that, yes, he's contributed a lot to the team in the very big moments, and he's definitely a big reason why Real Madrid has several of the trophies that they've won in the last half decade or so. Uh, but then it's like, do you really want to keep paying somebody to show up just at that time on the off chance that they actually will and then not have somebody who is going to you know, be consistent and be there for you when you really need it? Uh, I don't know. I think the problem is now, obviously, as Alex said beforehand, when you've written him off before, um, he's come back and done something outrageously good. But I think that point now has passed. I don't think he's got that in his locker to do. Not, I'm not saying he's finished in, in that sense. I'm saying at Madrid, he's just, it doesn't seem he has the confidence to do that anymore. Um, because it's this season, when he's had the opportunity to do those stupendous things, it's like he freezes and thinks, oh, crap, um, here I am. What do I do? It's like, it's like even with simple things like knocking the ball past somebody and sprinting, I just haven't seen him do that this year. It's like he's scared to do that anymore. I think it's just a case of his, ment his mentally shot now. Um, and I, I think that's just a result of obviously the pressure he's been under over the last few years. But um, I do think the time to move him on is now, really. I think last season was probably the best time to move him on after the final. Um but definitely now is 110% the time to let him go. Because you'll, you'll recoup some of the money. I don't think you'll recoup all of it. Uh, 60 to 80 million, possibly max. Nothing um, nothing. Yeah, something's better than nothing. Because I think I read a report not so long ago that Paris was holding out for like 100 million. And I was like, you're not going to get that. You have to be realistic. You, you're just not going to get that. Um, you know, I mean, who who knows, though? Like, with. The the, trans, the transfer market is now so outrageously inflated that you could find somebody desperate enough to to do that in January maybe I don't think in the summer they would and you just have, you'd have to consider different factors he's now uh, I think he'll be twenty nine this summer 
Yeah, but Alex, if you are desperate enough to do it, you probably don't have the money to purchase him. Because if you're at that level of desperation, I think chances are you've already secured other players who have, you know, the caliber and getting the job done that you need. I'm just trying to think who would, in my mind right now, be realistically desperate enough. So the only few clubs I can spring to mind. Chelsea have a transfer ban upcoming. And it's just like Mr. Vucic. Um, Spurs probably can't afford him because of the new stadium. Manchester United don't need him because they've got enough wide talent in the way of Martial, Rashford, etc., etc. He wouldn't go to Arsenal. Manchester City don't need him. Uh, who else is there? Well, there's four other, three other leagues. I can't see him in France, realistically. PSG don't need him. He's not going to go anywhere else in Spain. I wouldn't put it past PSG, though. I just don't, I don't see where he'd fit in there. Plus, why would he go there, really? Um, yeah, and, I, and then I, I think the only situation in which Bale goes to PSG is the nightmarish situation that that means that Neymar is coming the other way. Uh, so, like, Ooh, I, it a nightmare. I, That's interesting. Oh, I do yeah. agree with I, you, though. I do uh, agree. I want you. I want Neymar no nowhere near this squad, please. Like, uh, I don't doubt <laughs> his talent. He's a world class talent. But I, from what I've read, that injury he keeps suffering at the champ at this stage of the year every year is a recurring thing. He's going to suffer that for a long time. He doesn't want to miss his sister's birthday. Leave him alone, guys. For fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> being an is, asshole and injury is woeful. I mean, yeah. That, <laughs> Apparently it is. I suffer from it a lot. Uh, <laughs> oh, Austin takes the ball on door for that every January. <laughs> yeah, but um, and that and I just I don't like his attitude. His attitude is terrible. Um, but again, world class talent. You can't you can't take that away from him. But if we if we were sending Bale to PSG, I'd be like, we'll give you Bale a hundred million and give us an, uh, give us some back. I want yep. I want that. Yep. I want that yep. kid. I would, but yeah. I don't I, think I, even a hundred billion two years there. ago as well. I I honestly think that our biggest mistake uh, was, was not, not this past traffic. was not this past transfer window, but was two transfer window or two summers ago, missing out on Mbappe and his move to PSG. Oh, I, you know, a bunch of people have said that it was like it was just financially impossible. Which it wasn't. It wasn't that. I didn't guess. I just don't. Screw yeah. the new stadium. Sign a bloody player. Jesus Christ, Florentino. It's not just that. It's just a case of he he saw the situation at Madrid. He was like, I'm not going to get into that team. Um, which I don't know why he thought that. Because I think he would have benched anybody that was on that right-hand side all day. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I don't know why he thought that. I don't know who was whispering his advice into his ear. But the guy's a clinical moron. Um, take, oh, sorry. Go on. Finish up. But yeah, just it was. It definitely was the biggest mistake Madrid have made in the last few years was not signing Mbappe. One hundred and ten percent. Another hot take. Uh, obviously, Thibaut Courtois came into this Real Madrid squad last summer. He's played majority of the games uh, in net for Real Madrid. Keylor Navas has kind of just been like, eh, here and there, and everywhere in between, I guess, as and when he was needed. Uh, what do you guys think of it? I think people need to stop being so harsh on Courtois. Yeah, okay, he had a shaky start, but he's he's leveled himself out now. And he's had some good games. Um, plus, like, I, I can guarantee you right now, if if Thibaut Courtois had played in the Copa del Rey second leg and obviously conceded those three goals, the shitstorm on social media would have been unbelievable. But I feel like, like that's happening both ways. I always see people on Twitter saying, 
if Kutas st started this game and this loss happened, then he would have gotten shot on. If Kaylor started this game and this happened, he would have got shot. Don't you think? I don't think Kaylor would have got shot on as much because obviously there's a big sort of love affair for, for Navas out there. And I, uh, I respect right, what he's done. Rightfully so. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay, so. okay. I knew Alex was going to Club legend. Why, club that's legend. That's why I pulled. <laughs> yeah, no, he is a club legend for what he's contributed. Don't, don't doubt it one bit. But signing Courtois is a good move because you're future-proofing the, the position between the six. Because obviously, yeah, I know Navas hasn't declined. But you do have to look towards the, the future sometimes. And yeah, I think he's probably going to move on at the end of the, end of the season too. But we've got Lunin. It looks like a good, good prospect to be fair. Um, so yeah, there is that. But um, I, I, I think he's been a good enough signing. And for what he cost, you'd be stupid not to have signed him. It was peanuts. It was literally peanuts. Alex, just hit this question. And then I have one more for you before we guys wrap this up and move on to tomorrow's little pre-match thing. Uh, what do you think of this whole goalie situation at Madrid? Um, I think it's one of those good problems to have um, that that we've got two world class keepers who the fan base are uh, undecided upon who they like or hate most. Uh, you know, Real Madrid fans um, they, they're not even happy when their ice cream's cold. Uh, you, you can't really like please everyone on Twitter uh, and like Twitter is sort of like an outrage producing machine anyway. So I wouldn't put too much stock into that. I think that, um, you know, Kaylor Navas uh, is a phenomenal keeper who has proved his worth and his loyalty to the club of writing out multiple periods of uncertainty, saying that he would fight for his spot regardless of what happens. When it looked like he was almost on his way out, he still managed to keep a level head about him, come back from injuries, come back from surgeries. And so there's something very... Um, reliable about having him as sort of like our steady Eddie veteran uh, who has been through us through these title winning uh, uh, moments of our history. And then you add Thibaut Cotois as another option. And in Thibaut Cotois, you've got, uh, you know, somebody with title winning experience from multiple clubs um, who is, an amazing shot stopper. And I think you see some of Thibaut Courtois inconsistencies. He is a big gangly dude. And so sometimes it's easy to get the ball under his legs, but he is also just so lightning quick and makes hard, hard stops that, um, you know, some of the, some of his ability to just stand up a defender and make a shot from, or a stop from point blank range is really second to none. Um, so I think you, you take some of the good with, I think you take some of the bad with the good for Thibaut Cotois. I think we're in a great position as far as keepers go. Like we have, we have so many question marks surrounding our, surrounding our squad that getting Thibaut Courtois in when, you know, he was obviously unha unhappy at Chelsea, had been talking about wanting to move to Madrid for a long time. Uh, that just, it just seems like a win-win to me. I, I have no problem with the keeper situation. I've been saying for a while that Real Madrid could do very well um, to mimic 
the situation that, for example, Barcelona had a few years ago where Ter Stegen and I think it was Bravo were yeah, both, it was Claudio Bravo, yeah. uh, were both on their team competing for minutes. Uh, you could also reference, I think it was uh, Moya and Oblak. Yep. at Atletico Madrid a few years back. So there are uh, numerous examples in the contemporary European super club ecosystem of cl- of uh, t- teams that are really deep at the keeper position and where there is no sort of clear, or even if there is a clear number one, uh, that you've got an extraordinarily strong backup keeper. So I, I think we're in a good spot goalkeeper-wise. Last question before we get into the pre-match. One incredible thing about this Real Madrid squad, irrespective of how its form has been across all three Cups this season, is the average age of this team. It's quite young, and there's a lot of players who are very young. I mean, we do have some who are getting up there, but it's great to know that there's all these kids in this team who are essentially the next generation of Real Madrid. For example, we have Sergi Reguilon, as we mentioned, Oriazola and Freddy Valverde, which we also mentioned. You also have Marcos Llorente, who's 24. Avi Sanchez, Cristo. Raheem Diaz is a bit of an odd one. Jesus Vallejo has been a little questionable. Borja isn't with Madrid. But that being said, outside of Vinicius Jr., who is your player under 25? Actually, I just realized who Austin's going to pick. Who is your favorite player under 25 that you are super excited to see continue with Real Madrid? He says he thinks he knows who I'm going to pick. I just don't know who he thinks I'm going to say. It's okay. Let's see see if you can say it first. I'll just say Sergio Reguilon. <laughs> really? I thought it was going to be uh, Danny Ceballos. He's been a little bit pipped out of the spot because of Reguilon's ridiculous form. Um, I, I do think he's a long-term successor to Marcelo. I think Akras going to have a very hard time when he does return to Madrid getting back into that squad because... Regulon superior to him defensively, and I argue better than him offensively, offensively at least. Um, but that's a, that's a hot debate for another day. Um, but yeah, he's definitely it's between him, Ceballos, and Fede Valverde. I'm excited for all three of them. I just like the directness of Fede Valverde. He's just every time he gets on the ball, he's just like a, he's like a like a determined little kid. He's just like I'm going to run at this and just run and run and run. He just goes. He's off like the clappers. Um, obviously, Ceballos. Everyone knows my love affair for Ceballos. Um, he's just he's wondrous. He does everything you want from a midfielder. He defends. He attacks. Breaks lines. Um, could dribble with the best of them. So yeah, there's not much that he can't do. So yeah, those are the I've cheated a bit, but yeah, so there's three. <laughs> you literally just ripped apart the whole exam and wrote your own. Um, Alex, who's your uh, player to watch under 25? Um, under 25, it's definitely got to be Marcos Llorente. Um, what a what a kid. He's good. Uh, He's very good. It, the, it was really interesting to watch kind of the, the unfolding dynamics going on between him and Casemiro when Casemiro was out, I think, for in, uh, with an injury problem for a while. They're this trading season. injuries. One gets fit, the other goes injured. One gets injured, the other gets fit. Yeah, yeah. Have we ever seen them in the same room together? Are we sure they're no. not actually the same person? Um, <laughs> no, but it... Uh, you know, brings sort of a different set of skills, but I thought just uh, was a marvelous, uh, a marvelous replacement for Casemiro. And this is on the back of Casemiro continuing to kind of disprove 
the haters uh, and, and and Casemiro showing that he is, you know, one of the best center defensive midfielders in the world time and time again. And Marcos Llorente just stepped up to the plate and said, uh, no, actually, I'm going to give you some serious competition for that spot <laughs> uh, and to do it with really, you know, my first year in the spotlight at Real Madrid. I know he's kind of been hovering around for a while, but like this is really his time to shine. And he has not looked like the moment was too big for him at all. Um, and while we're talking about young players, the, the question was players under the age of 25. Can we talk about the fact that Rafa Varane is only 25 years old? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's terrifying. Uh, World, World Cup winner Rafael Varane is only 25 years old and has got a pedigree uh, and a CV like some retired glory players. Like, yeah, it, he's got it's four just Champions League, the World Cup. He's got the Liga under his belt. God, what's he not got? Uh, I, I believe that you're probably with the Euros in a couple of years' time. Has a good chance to retain the World Cup at, um, in Qatar. <laughs> What can more can you say about him? He's just he's a he's a he's a phenom. He is a phenom. He's a seasoned player that in such a refined product, you don't really look at him and think, oh, he must be young. You just see him and think, I'm sure he's about 27, 28. He's you know in the prime of his of his life. He's doing well. He's physically fit. Aerial dominance, loads of pace. Like you guys said, there isn't. Yeah, there isn't much criticism you can have. The terrifying thing is he's still got a near decade of his career at least to go. Because defenders can go on to, you know, 32, 33 quite easily. Um, that's terrifying. That's quite literally terrifying. Be afraid, La Liga. Be very afraid. Not just for La Liga football. I mean, I'm going to say a slightly hot take here, but he could retire with a better career than Ramos has. Like, in terms of trophy wins, he could retire as a more decorated defender, which is terrifying. Well, not, not just more not just more decorated but with Sergio Ramos you you really do have to take the good with the bad yeah and, you have to take sometimes that yeah while well, he might score a goal in the final he's also capable of getting himself sent off for absolutely no reason yeah yep and, and just you know he's a red card generating machine which that has never been uh, any different a we've, part we've of, got a part of a part of Varane's game and Varane just looks disciplined. He looks calm. He looks level headed. You know, he, he looks like he's got the mind of a 32 year old on the body of a 25 year old, which, uh, you know, Sergio Ramos on the other hand, even as he's getting up there in the age, still occasionally the <laughs> chooses to act like he's 21 years old and is, you know, getting into a bar fight. <laughs> like isn't that the joy though. That's like the persona of Sergio Ramos is, Yes, that, but it also entails me ripping my hair out sometimes. Like, that's what he is. Like, he's just, he's an OG. He's a gangster, a menace on the pitch. I'm not agreeing with his stupidity at times, but I feel like that's what makes Ramos Ramos. And that's Yeah, why no, I do agree with you. That is that you do have to kind of take it because it is part and parcel of the package. But I think defense, as, as just an out-and-out pure defender, I do think Varane is a superior defender, generally speaking. Um <laughs> In terms of his consistency and his just his ability to actually be a defender, we, we've talked about this on the podcast before, and I we never intend for this to come off as nationalistic or racist or anything like that. <laughs> but just just for the simple fact, do you think it is possible for Rafa Varane if he continues on this same path, sort of this trajectory that he's been on over his last twenty five years of life? If he continues this on forward, do you think it's possible for him to be? Bigger than and more loved than Sergio Ramos, even though no. Ramos is Spanish. 
No, before you even answer, no, before you even finish asking the question, no. He's, I think the reason Ramos is so loved is just because of the way he is. Um, that and he's been through, you know, many eras of the club, essentially. Don't forget, this guy actually played on the same field as Zidane at one point. That's bloody terrifying. The fact that he fielded with Zidane while Zidane was also in the dugout, you know, some years later. Yeah, yeah. I also think that players... He's been are around... Made- Players are made and their reputations are made through iconic moments. Um, What fans remember from players uh, is at the end of the day, it's not statistics. It's not, uh, you know, tactical things. Fans remember moments. And we remember the moments that stand out to us. 92, 92, 92, 48. The decima was so historic for Real Madrid. And it would not have happened without Sergio Ramos. He put the team on. On his back and forever just became the icon of Real Madrid during that era um, of this Champions League winning Real Madrid. He it, it, it he's almost sort of the genesis moment of that when all hope was lost in that final, when it looked like things were going to go the other way, when it looked like Real Madrid was going to let the decima slip out of the grass one more time. Sergio Ramos made the difference. And so it's going, if Rafa Varane is going to overtake that, uh, he is going, he has a, a lot of work to do. And it may require a similar iconic moment to be able to fully, uh, you know, cause the fans to, to change their, uh, to change their attitude about where they exist in the relative hierarchy of greatness. But I mean, we're also, you know, comparing one really great thing with another really, really great thing so the the margins are kind of fine here (laughs) well we've unpacked a whole lot about a whole load of things before we wrap up though we did promise we would talk about tomorrow's match against barcelona Uh, do we have to yes (laughs) it's a simple hopeful damn it (laughs) simple questions what is the key to tomorrow's match for a victory don't collapse for 23 minutes simple as that all right i like the next um, I think finish finishing the match as strong as we start the match. Um, yeah. Real Madrid are good against Barcelona of putting the intensity on at the beginning of the match. Um, you know, it would help if we finish some of those shots. But really, the the difference last game uh, during the Copa del Rey was not just in finishing the shots. It was in keeping the mental composure once the second half started and once things got difficult. Uh, Because once things got difficult, it seemed that Real Madrid just absolutely crumbled under the pressure and was not able to apply the same intensity that they had from the first moment of the game throughout the end of the game. So I, I think for me, can, you know, it goes back to that consistency thing that we're lacking this season. If Real Madrid can put in a good performance over 90 minutes rather than over 45, 50, 60 minutes, then we stand a chance. But, um, you know, it's, it's yet to be seen whether or not this Real Madrid squad is capable of that against the top level of opponents this year. Well, hopefully Real Madrid does get the result tomorrow because that would mean a huge boost to any chances of winning the La Liga title. Of course, it looks a little bit out of reach as of right now, but as my weird optimism always speaks to me in the back of my head, nothing is impossible, um, and this can be won until it's mathematically impossible. So, yeah. (laughs) I think uh, I think that's it. Uh, if you don't know, though, Real Madrid set up 
48 points in third place, and Barcelona is at 57, of course, in first place. Uh, this podcast was 50 minutes. We probably swore that we'd never do one this long again, but it was so rich and so good, and there's just a whole load of just great stuff in here. I'm probably going to end up splitting this up and posting it several times because it was that great. So many hot takes from both of you. Uh, Hassan, I guess thanks for showing up. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. You're always here. Anyway, but Alex, thank you. (laughs) I love you too. Alex, seriously, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We hope to have you back. It was super awesome to get your uh, really unbiased, more wise opinion Dr. McVeigh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, you all keep doing all the awesome stuff you're doing for the real champs. This was something that I was involved in for, uh, you know, over a year, uh, really trying to build the site up. And so I love seeing that, uh, you know, all of that hard work has not been wasted and that you all are still continuing to do great things, putting out awesome content uh, and really being a voice for fresh uh, fresh uh, takes and fresh criticism and, you know, just just good commentary on Real Madrid. And thank you for having me on. I'm happy to come back whenever. Thank you so much. Austin, I just want to make sure you feel included as well. Just so <laughs> I'm sorry, you're quiet, man. Is there anything that you need to say before we close out? Much talk to Jackass. All right, Austin. Awesome. <laughs> officially, Dr. Mavey was here with us on the podcast. Thank you one last the time. The myth, the legend. Exactly. <laughs> to those of you who have lasted this far and listened to this whole thing thank you so much please share this you with your real friends ones. Or family yeah you you the a1 you the real mvp as kevin durant once said a few years ago um if you don't know who he is i'm sorry but yeah please share this on facebook or twitter or whatever really appreciate the support as always uh tomorrow we'll be doing a periscope and some pretty cool post-match content right after and i'm pretty sure hassan and i are going to be doing another podcast thank you guys so much peace out and as always hala madrid